Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. As you grab your feet, grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1. A man went to a grocery store with his four-year-old daughter just before the big snowstorm was going to hit. Been there and done that, right? We, we, we know what we're talking about here. Since they were just there to grab just a few of the essentials, right? I mean, milk, bread, eggs, you know, because snowstorms make us crave French toast, right? Um, he, he decided to just, just instead of saving time, he, he wanted to save some time. So instead of taking that big old cart and pushing it around, he was going to grab everything by hand. And as he and his daughter were going about the store, gathering up all of their goods and carrying them by hand, his daughter informed him, Daddy, that's not the way Mommy does it. Well, I know, dear, he replied, but this is how Daddy does it. They paid for their stuff, but just as they were beginning to walk out, man, uh, just a downpour came, freezing rain, all that stuff. And so they grabbed their stuff and ran out. He had a bag in one hand and the milk in the other hand. And, and, and his daughter was coming along beside him, behind him there to get into the car, not wanting to get too wet and trying their best not to fall and break their necks. And so he got to the car, and he didn't want to set anything on the ground and get it wet. And so he set the milk on top of the car, grabbed the bag, opened the door, put his daughter in, put his groceries in, and then buckled her in and jumped in his seat as quickly as he could without getting drenched. Well, he was feeling pretty good about himself. I mean, you know how, I mean, listen, you moms, listen, y'all can multitask. Y'all can do like a hundred things at one time. But when we dads can do like three things at once. We've done something, right, men? Amen. Amen. That's right. (laughs) And he was feeling really, really, really good about himself as he started the car and was getting ready to pull out. But then from the back seat, that's not the way mommy does it, his daughter said to him again. So a little frustrated, he snapped back, Honey, there is more than one way to do things. Daddy's way is okay, too. And so as they pulled out on the road, the light abruptly turned red, which caused Dad to slam on his brakes just a little bit. And before he realized what happened, this gallon of milk came tumbling down the windshield, onto the hood, onto the ground, and busted and splattered everywhere. And in the millisecond, before he could process everything that happened, he heard his daughter say one more time, I told you, Daddy, that's not how Mama does it. That sounds like something I would do, right? Been there done that. So what is the moral of the story? Daddy should do more things like mommies? Maybe. Maybe that could be true, all right? But I see, as I look at that story, the moral of the story as I see it is that while there are many ways to do things, not every way is the right way, all right? You can carry your milk on the top of the roof of your car if you want, but you'll end up with spilled milk. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to do things. Now, we live in a day and age where that, what I just said, that there is a right way and a wrong way to live, that gets challenged every single day, right? We live in this age. Who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? We have people just say, there is no right and wrong. What's right for me is right for me and what's right for you is right for you. I'm the captain of my ship, and I'll sail my ship 
wherever I want to take it. Truth is what I say it is. We're sort of swimming around in our day and age in that postmodern philosophy. That's the name, if you were to look it up, postmodernism, this idea that there is no absolute truth, that there is no objective truth. Truth is relative, people will say. Right? Truth is subjective. Each individual gets to make up what is true for them. And you know what? It's not over inconsequential things like milk that people are saying these things about. These are big things that this stuff, this kind of thinking is getting applied to. Very big and important areas of our life, such as sexuality, marriage, children, biomedical issues, even issues of life and death like like abortion and, and euthanasia. In this postmodern age, when the question is asked, how should I live? The answer that comes back is, however you want, baby, you got to do you. But this morning, as we continue in our series, Life's Biggest Questions, we're going to see how the Bible answers that question. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at the origins questions, which, which asked this question, where did I come from? Last week, we tackled the question, the purpose question, why am I here? And today's task is this. We're going to get on the morality question. That's the title of today's message, the morality question. And today's task is to answer this question, how should I live? How should I live? One passage of scripture that has incredible insight that has gripped me as I've prayed about this passage, about this question, is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. Isaiah 1, 16 through 18. So I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. Not to give you the end before the, uh, here at the beginning, but this is where truth is found, okay? That's why we stand to honor it, because we believe this is God's Word to humanity. I, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 through 18 says this, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, come. Now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Let's pray to God. God, as we come to this text, would you speak to us? You've already spoken. Your word is clear here. Help us to understand it and to apply it that every person under the sound of my voice today would know how to live or at least to know where to go to know how to live a life that pleases you. God, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice this morning who is yet to repent and believe in the only Savior, Your son, Jesus, I pray today would be the day they would see their sin and the wretchedness of it and they would see the cross and the love therein and the grace that pours down from it and would run to the cross and be saved. Father, we love you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab your seat. Thank you for standing to honor the word of God. So this morning, as we consider the question, how... Should I live? The first thing that you and I need to understand this morning is don't just follow your heart. 
Man, that's pop theology. That is Disney theology. This notion that, 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 that how we should live, when we're thinking about that, about making a decision, we should just listen to our heart as if our heart is the compass that points to true north. Now, what is our heart? We use that in Western uh, cultures to, to describe not, the, not just the organ in your body that's pumping blood and doing all that stuff, but our heart represents our feelings, our emotions, our desires. And many people in our world today would say that it is never wise to go against your heart. But there's only one problem. Your heart is jacked up, man. Your heart, your emotions, your desires, your feelings, your thinking have been wrecked by sin. Listen to Jeremiah 17, 9. It says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Beloved, this is, this is just merely the outworking of what the Bible teaches, what we theologically call total depravity, right? You and I are naturally, totally depraved. Now, that does not mean that we are as wicked as we could be. Praise God, that's not what that means, right? It doesn't mean that, right? What it does mean is that the totality of your being and my being have been tainted by sin. They have been wrecked by sin. Every aspect of Ben Simpson's life from conception has been wrecked by sin. My body is broken because of sin, right? My mind doesn't think straight because of sin. My heart loves things it shouldn't love because of sin. My affections, my desires, my feelings, my very soul has been affected by sin. Nothing about us is unfazed from the effects of sin and its curse. And our heart is a terrible guide. Following our heart is like following a lying leader. Back in 1999, Christy and I got some tickets. We were going to go down to the Ryman Auditorium. If you've heard this, just humor me. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. It's a great illustration of what I'm talking about here. But we were going on a trip to Nashville down to the Ryman Auditorium to a concert here. We were both around 20 years old back in 1999. And kids, you may find this hard to believe. But there was a time when there was no GPS on your phone. And there was no GPS in your car. In fact, Christy and I didn't even have cell phones, right? I mean, I didn't get a cell phone until I was like 28 or something like that. I mean, I was a late bloomer, I guess, you know, but nevertheless. So in order to get somewhere, kids, (laughs) that you didn't know where to go, you either had to go buy a map and figure it out yourself. Or back in that day, back in the old days, you could go and... Check out this, this newfangled thing called the internet. <laughs> and you could go to this website called MapQuest. And MapQuest, you could type in where you wanted to go and where you're coming from and hit a button. And all of a sudden, it would spit out all these directions with maps and step by step and all this stuff. And you'd end up with like a half book of, of steps, depending on how far you were going. But it would just tell you all this stuff, man, which way to turn and when to turn and how far and all this stuff. And so Christy and I, we printed out our directions like six pages worth and we headed out to Nashville, to the Ryman. And I had an idea where it was. I mean, I'd been to Nashville a time or two, but not really on my own and all that stuff. And Christy was from Ohio, and so she didn't really know for sure at all. But I knew that the Ryman Auditorium was somewhere around downtown. So we got, we got to Nashville, and we took that 
I-65 loop around downtown. And as we're driving by, I'm seeing the Batman building and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, I think it's over there. But we look at the paper and the paper says, no, keep going. Okay, trust the paper, right? This, this is MapQuest we're talking about here, all right? So, so we're, we're following the thing. And even as we're heading back down, and we're, we're heading south of Nashville at this point, And we're, we're kind of saying, you know, I don't know. Just, okay, just follow the paper. Maybe, maybe this is a Ryman Auditory. Maybe this is a way we don't know. Maybe this is a different Ryman Auditory or something like that. And so we're going downtown and we follow these silly instructions until we end up on a dead-end road in a subdivision. God's honest truth. And you're thinking, are you that dumb, Ben? I mean, at some point, wouldn't you have turned around? We were just following the instructions. So eventually we turned around, we found our way back to downtown and, and got there in time for the concert. But MapQuest somehow got its wires crossed and lied to us. Eventually, again, like we said, we made our way back downtown, but after we had gotten lost, we trusted a lie, and it took us to a dead end. Let me say very plain you do this morning, church. Let me say this very clearly. That's what it's like when you follow your heart. Your heart is a lying leader. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Don't just follow your heart. But second this morning as we consider the question, how should I live? The second thing that you and I need to understand is don't just follow society. So maybe as an individual you follow your heart. Okay, I, I, I get it, Ben. That's not good. But I mean, as a whole group, I mean, surely there's wisdom in the group, right? Let me say to you this morning, though, just because the majority believes something, that doesn't make it right. In fact, we have one of the best illustrations there in Numbers, the book of Numbers. Remember that when, when God sent the Israelites to send 12 spies representing each tribe into the promised land to spy out the land of Canaan and Palestine, all that there to see if they could come in and take the land as God had told them to go in and take the land. 12 of them went in and 10 of them came out and said, what? We can't do it. They're too big. They're too strong. They're too scary. We're too weak. <laughs> and the majority of the people went with the majority of the spies. And how did that turn out, church? Everybody say, not good. That's right. God punished the people of Israel for their disobedience. And they wandered in the desert until that entire generation died so that God could take in that younger generation who did not walk in the disobedience of their forefathers. You see, majority doesn't equal right. And that there are people who try to convince us that right and wrong is determined democratically, for a lack of a better word, right? I, I, I'm a sociology, uh, a sociology major, uh, you know, in my bachelor's degree. And, and if we learned anything in sociology, it was that truth is socially constructed. What this group says is true. They decide what's true. And it may not be true for this group over here. Whatever the majority says is true must be true. Pollsters here in America will tell you and me that the majority of Americans believe this. Therefore, you should believe it too. And if they don't have the majority, 
for whatever ideology they're pushing, then they point to a future majority that is yet to be realized. Maybe you've heard this kind of language before. You need to get on the right side of history. How many of y'all heard that kind of language before? The right side of history. Here's what, that's, here's what they're actually saying. Here's what they're actually saying. We may not have the majority now, but we're right And one day we will be the majority. So you better just go ahead, give up, and embrace our ideas so that you don't look stupid in the future. And who wants to look stupid, man? Not me. Beloved, listen to me. Right and wrong are not socially constructed. Majority can be a majority of fools. Russian author Leo Tolstoy, he once wrote this. He said, wrong does not cease to be wrong because the majority share in it. And St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers of the Christian church, said this. He said, right is right even if no one is doing it. Wrong is wrong even if everyone is doing it. So don't just follow Society, if you want to stand on the right side of history, guess whose side you need to stand on? God's, right? God's. I've read the end of the book. God wins. If you want to be a winner, if you want to be victorious, if you want to be on the right side of history, then you've got to be on God's side, which leads us to the third thing you've got to understand when you consider how should I live. And it's this. Know that God alone determines right and wrong. God alone. Look at our text. Isaiah 1, just verse 16 and 17. Look at what, listen to some of the labels that God speaks to us through the prophet Isaiah. Now again, this is, this is spoken to the, Isra- the Israelite people, right, for their immediate context. And there was a lot of bad stuff going on. But he's speaking through the prophet to all the people of God here. Okay, so this is for you. It's not just for the Israelites in their context. This is for you and me. He says this, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's Cause. Now you will clearly see here in this text that there, are in, that there are indeed categories of right and wrong. Categories of good and evil. And it's not up to the individual to decide which one is which. What fits under each category. Or it's not up to the group. God created us. That, that's what we learned the first week in the series, right? Where did I come from? God God created you. He is, you are His. You're His creature. And God one day will indeed judge us. And He'll not judge us by our standards. God will judge us by His. And when our standards mix up right and wrong, it does not turn out well for us. Just Four chapters later here, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Isaiah 5, verse 20. God says this. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. If that doesn't sound like 2018, I don't know what does, right? There's so much confusion here, right? But when we scramble up right and wrong, we should be sorrowful. We should be distressed. Trouble is our destiny because that's why we don't follow our hearts, right? Our hearts naturally confuse us. Our, 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 our hearts, we naturally love darkness and hate the light. That's why that first phrase, Isaiah 117, Isaiah 117, it, it stood out to me so strongly this week as I was studying this passage. Look at what God instructs the people of God to do. Learn to do good. Learn to do good. You and I have to learn to do good, right? I mean, again, we see this in our children. You've heard this illustration before. I'm going to say it again. But I've never had to teach my children how to be bad, how to do bad. They do it automatically. Ben Simpson does it automatically, naturally. What you and I have to do and what you and I have to be is taught. We have to teach and be taught to do good, to do what's right, right? We have to learn to do good, which is determined by God alone. But where do we find that? Well, how do we know what God has determined right or wrong? Well, that, that takes us to our fourth thing, is that we turn to the Bible. Turn to the Bible where God has revealed what he has determined. There's no other place to turn, guys. Human reason will not get you there. It's fallen. Tradition will not get you there because if it's just based upon man's thinking, it's fallen. The Bible. The Bible is the only infallible repository of truth. The Bible is God's word. And I said this last week, but I'll say it again. What the Bible says, God says. And what God says, the Bible says. Now, a lot of people, they try to live their life as if God, well, let me say it this way. A lot of people try to live their life in such a way that they, that they feel like they can't determine what's right or wrong. They try to live their life as if right or wrong has not been communicated to them, right? I mean, God's in heaven and we're way down here and, and, and it's so hard to understand what God has said and it's kind of just a mystery and so they live in sort of happy ignorance but really guys their ignorance is a farce their ignorance is merely a license to do whatever they want to do because god has spoken he's spoken god has not been silent god has not hidden what's right and wrong from us he has clearly revealed to us in the bible what is right and wrong and right here in our text you can see there are some things that he loves he loves when we do good, when we love God, when we love our neighbors as ourselves. And he says those two things sum up the entirety of the law. God loves those things. He loves when we seek justice. Now, I know that justice is a buzzword in today's culture. The intention of being about justice is not wrong. That's the right intention. But what justice is has to be informed 
by this. What justice is has to be informed by the Bible. Seek justice, correct oppression. It says, bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. There are things here that God loves. James said that pure and undefiled religion is to be about the widow and the orphan. You and I, beloved, have been set free to do good, to do right. And it's not a mystery for those who will open up the Word of God and see what God has said. But finally this morning, when you think about how should I live? How should I live? It's this last part here that is the most important, I suppose, for us where we stand before God. It's this, run to Jesus to wash away your wrongs and get his righteousness. You and I have been told what is right and what is wrong, but every single one of us are equal in this regard as that we have fallen short of what God has called us to do. Some of us maybe have fallen short, more short than others, but nevertheless, we're equal in the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior, but the beauty of what we have standing right here before us in Isaiah chapter 1 is that God wants to cleanse you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to take all your sin and get rid of them and replace it with Jesus' righteousness. That's why Christ came. That's why, just as we sang a moment ago, hallelujah, hallelujah, all I have is who? Christ. In Him, we have life and breath and righteousness and forgiveness and everything we need. We don't try to climb the ladder of good works to get to heaven. We cling to the cross for our hope. And this is clear. Isaiah 1.16. God tells us, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from before my eyes cease to do evil now we hear that and we think well maybe i can do this i mean he's telling me to wash myself but then we come down here to verse 18 and it becomes clear it becomes clear that this is not a work of man this is a supernatural act of god if you want to be cleansed It can't be by your own power, but by the power of God. Look at verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Listen to this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. How many of you guys have ever had a shirt with a great big old stain on it? Or maybe you're eating that hot dog. (laughs) Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Don't, don't be afraid. To say, don't be ashamed. That's right. We're right there together, right? You eat that big old hot dog, you get ketchup all over it. Or, or maybe th- this happens to me more times than not over the years. I've got that nice dress shirt. You know, we have a church fellowship right afterward. And kids can't get it all in their mouth. They've got to get it around their mouth and on their hands. And they come up and they 
Daddy, and they give you the big old hug, and you've got handprints and mouth prints and stuff all over your shirt. I can't tell you how many shirts I have like that. It's like, well, I guess I'll just wear a sweater vest to cover that up. <laughs> now you know my fashion trick. <laughs> but we've all been there before where we try everything. We put shout on it, spray and wash, you name it, we do it. And everything we try, baking soda, linen juice, every hack you can think of, and nothing will take that stain out. That's how it is with our sin, beloved. You can try as hard as you can, but you will never wash away your sins. That only happens through Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you come to him, when you come to him, you get that supernatural cleansing. Though you were once guilty and red and scarlet, covered, stained in Jesus, you are made white as snow. And praise God, when you guys walk out today, you've got snow to look at. To say, that's what I am in Jesus. That's what I am when Christ cleanses me. Though you are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Guys, if you're here today, you've never repented and believed in Jesus. You can never be cleansed unless you come to Jesus. So I beg you this morning. When when I think about how should I live the first thing you need to do is run to Jesus. Be cleansed. Then get in his Bible and devour it. Hunger for it. Thirst for it. Let it fill your soul. Let it renew your mind, as Romans 12 says, that you will think rightly and you will love rightly and you will do rightly. Here's my final prayer today. May you live a life that pleases God and rests in the grace of the Savior. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done The straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus 
longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.